You know, we want to welcome everybody here. You know, obviously, obviously, obviously. That's right. I got Dave here. Uh, I, I think that... You know, we want to welcome everybody here. Speaking of that, speaking of that... Celinda. You know, we want to welcome everybody here. Everything all at once? Everything all at once. It's honestly a sensation. Aliens listen to it. What's your channel called again? Everything at once. That's right. Everything at once. It's a uh, paradox of our own humanity wanting everything all at once, everything at once, all the time, and the actuality of never really getting everything you want all at once the, the way that you hope that, or at least the way that I hope that I would get it. Right. You know what I mean? It always takes so much more work. And dedication to to get those things rather than just it being uh, so nicely and sweetly plopped down in front of you the yeah. way I imagined it as a child. Unless you tune in here and then you don't and have then to you put get, it on a footwork. Yeah. You get it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everything at once. Exactly. No doubt. No doubt. We got my boy Jared Groves here in the studio today. Me and Jared go way back from high school. He's always been a hustler, and he's still hustling like crazy today. And uh, we brought him onto the show to talk about some of the different things that he's got going on. Um, Jared was—you uh, were a school teacher at JS for a long time, right? Correct. Yeah. That's. Did you didn't go to JS though? What did you? No, but you did, right? Oh, fuck yeah! yeah. <laughs> Me and all my homies went to went to JS. It was a good time. Yeah. But it's a lot different looking now than it probably was back then. Well, you were probably there right when they were remodeling right before it. they remodeled it, dude. Oh, so you you saw we were in the shit. Yeah, we were in the shit. Fuck yeah! Nice. It was good stuff. Um, what did you teach there? I taught language arts. Uh, originally, I was teaching English as a second language. Mm -hmm. That was in the city, and so I had all of our refugee population. Uh, but then I took a position in Mill Creek, so your basic language arts suburban classroom. Yeah. What books did you guys have to read? Dude, we came back to, to, to the classic. My, the, the first book that I ever actually read... Uh, was The Outsiders. Oh, nice. Mm, that's yeah. what you okay. I didn't read as a kid, but I was like, what? Knives? Guns? I'm like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but it was, it kind of came full circle like a lot of things did where, you know, now I came back and I'm teaching this book to the same, you know, same the population. The future you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So a bunch of these. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. And, uh, have you always been like a big fan of English? Like, how did you get into that? Like, I know you used to be doing music and writing and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's why I geared toward English. Eh, honestly, I think when I was going to school, I saw English as the type of class that if an administrator was walking in and you're talking about who knows what, yeah, like, hey, this fits in somewhere to the, the story so, we're reading right. or something. It, it leaves a lot of open conversation I think that's what I was thinking back in college but uh, you know besides that like you said I was always a lyricist so I, I yeah I wanted to, to work with wor words if I was gonna teach yeah for sure yeah and I like that that idea that if you're teaching language arts class you got a lot of you have some room to play around too right oh, yeah. like you in know. math like you walk in math class if you're talking <laughs> about uh, Indonesia, anything, the yeah. culture of Indonesia. It's like, are you guys on track? <laughs> yeah. See, right. I went to. I also went to school for English, and uh, that was my favorite part of of uh, well, high school. But more like the college curriculum was that I'd be sitting in an algebra class. I f I won't lie, I failed algebra three times just because it was so boring. <laughs> right. Like I'd fall asleep just to the same like fucking like getting to the same point shit and like it's tough having like the the English teachers and professors just like you know expound on different ideas was always something that was super interesting to me too. Definitely, that culture of like the English department in colleges is always cool. You get those kind of spacey professors and, and the you know the 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 lit guys and the artsy people you know the stuff that have like have some perspective you know what i right. mean outside of what we've experienced our whole lives you know through reading and through seeing all these different things you're right literature ties into art easier than some of the others right yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a creative hub for sure right are you still rapping I'm still writing, um, okay. always, and I got a couple tracks I'm working on, but, uh, you know, not as active. They, it's 
I always looked at it as a hobby. It, yeah. was, it was never a proposed career for me. <laughs> That's so very realistic. It was a you. hobby, so I guess the only reason is I just I'm not making time for hobbies as much. You know, just hustling yeah. more. Right. When did you When did you get into that? Right. Rapping. Right in rapping. You know. Young. You know, we were kids. Uh, you know, so we we through high school we were always writing raps. We started recording them and you know trying to turn it into something through event promotions. Mm. Mm-hmm. Etc. Yeah, definitely, dude. Who were some of your your rap influences back then? Rap influences. Um, we listened to a lot of like underground artists. Mm-hmm. Like, I know. When we were younger, we liked that really raw like. Yeah, dude. Like uh, Immortal Technique. And Immortal Jedi Technique's Mind one tricks. of my favorites. Jedi Mind for sure. Atmosphere. Atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Has. Yeah, we were really into the lyrical stuff when we were younger, so, and it, it showed, I think, in the music we were making then, because Definitely. sometimes the beats and the mixing wasn't focused on as much as the lyricism. Right. All those double and triple rhyme scheme syllables really, I yep. think, show uh, a high quality of, like, technique and skill whenever I hear a rapper doing that. I always have, like, a lot of respect for Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of our generation. It's a little more flowing beats now. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And production. Yeah. Making everything sound real cool. Right. Which nothing wrong with that either. Nah, I mean I I guess I could say there's nothing really wrong with that. People are gonna like what they're gonna like, but to me personally I would much prefer content like right. quality content yeah. and a high level or degree of skill, but I've always been such a fucking snob with music. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. It, if some of these people just can't hack it compared to the other people that I used to listen that I listen to now and used to listen to. I, right. I, I think the the popular people from or rappers when we were younger. I mean, it's a different style, but I don't think it's necessarily like a uh, a big difference. Like I think back to like some of my favorite mainstream rappers, like you know, like Dipset, Cameron, Joel Santana. You know, like. Yeah, Jay Z's great lyricist, but he, you know he kind of like, you know, was like a beats and flow type guy. You know, right. the game always is changing, but I feel like you can absolutely find the kind of artists that we listened to when we were younger, like on the scene right, right now. Yeah. Know, there's always the underground's always just been far more fascinating to me in the rap right. scene. And we're not. I feel like I'm not as young and ambitious to go out and search through the shit to find somebody anymore. And there's so much now. Yeah. I I will say some of the new artists I think are doing a a better job of balancing that lyricism with the Mm -hmm. beats and flow because that's what I try to do as a balance. Like I want all the punchlines, the lyrics, but I don't want to just appeal to hip hop heads, right? I want someone to be able to play this, you know, in any environment and people enjoy it or or what are you really doing you know yeah for sure I mean that's what we make is to send the message to the people you know what I mean right bring it out um some of the new people I've been listening to a lot is uh Benny the Butcher yeah 38 Spesh and that whole crew from Buffalo is just fucking sick yep those are my boys lately. I always keep it real G too. I don't know if I like this, like the a lot. I mean, it's good, but I, I'm not really a Mac Miller fan. I'd rather hear people talk about selling crack and shooting yeah. people in the streets. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping that gangster alive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've right. A, I've always been a big, uh, at least for, you know, uh, more recent rappers. I've always been a big T Grizzly fan yeah. myself. Yeah. That's my fucking dude. You know. I like listening to people sell, talk about selling crack and shit, too. Is that hustle? Yeah, it's fun. It doesn't mean you have to do it. Right, Everybody's right. always like, why are you listening to that? You don't do that. It's it's not, I don't have to share the same activity to share the same energy. Right. You know what I mean? You just feel like you're on top of your game. Like yeah, Like, you just dude. sold a bunch of, you know what I mean? Like, I, Hell yeah. Even though you're on your way to, like, go sit in a cubicle, but... As long as it's pumping you up, you know, yeah. then it's, it's the feel, not so much. When you write lyrics... You know, with your your language arts background as well, the storytelling background, do you find yourself being more based in like telling your own life story or just kind of going into the imagination, like things you you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. Um, I've tied in stories connected to my life, but I think a lot of my lyrics are abstract. Mm. Um, like I'll do like the specific punchlines and metaphors, but overall, like. It's an imagery thing. Like, I'm just trying to paint a picture in your mind. It doesn't necessarily need to make a point. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but I'm trying to, uh, yeah, paint a picture. So it becomes kind of abstract sometimes where it's almost like if you read that out loud, you're like, does that make sense? 
I don't know, but when it's said with the beat like that, it's making me picture, you know, that that's usually my goal. Right. I Lately like more so, like I said, when we were younger, it was straight lyrics, 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 mm-hmm. uh, you know, the combos, the et cetera. But you got to try and uh, make music that people can feel without focusing too much, too. Right. Because not everyone wants to put on a, an album and, like, really zone out and listen to it you know sometimes they just want it to accompany what they're doing right right and i I like the i like it when stuff's a little bit more ambiguous too than straightforward i think that's like a really key part in any art is that like a song may make me feel one way but it doesn't have to necessarily make you or the other people feel that same way no it could bring out like something completely different for them and i think that's like uh a quality of like good art, you know what I right. mean? Being able to evoke those different feelings for different people. And, and of any art, right? So you can take it from painting to right. lyrics to, yeah. Yep. I always thought rap was one of the most difficult art forms. Hip hop is one of the most difficult art, art forms to get into because you have like other kinds of like music or, or painting, or if you're writing a story, um, you don't get so much called out on your background. You know, like with rap, like there's a lot of like it has to be connected to like right. what this you've guy ain't done. actually street or whatever. Right, you know, you know right. like a studio type thing. Like if I'm if I'm listening to a rock band and they're talking, and you're like a metal band or something, they're talking about like murdering thousands of people or like you, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like they're like they're all, you know it's obviously fantasy, but a lot of the times in rap, it's like this person has to back it up with street yeah. cred, and it just makes it so much more difficult. Yeah, I think. that sounds like a real struggle for them too because they have to like meet the standards of this character they created. Right. Right, because even if, you know, like you said, like you're saying it rapping about so you're supposed to back it all up, but regardless they're creating a a fantasy, a, a story. character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an ego, really a projection of their ego. And then, you know, I think that's probably explains some of the crazy lifestyles some of them lead because it's like I got to keep up with this picture right. I painted. Yeah. I gotta uh, have whereas my like you said if it's, if it's a you know, a band touching on a, a topic that isn't completely related to them. We're not like the Beatles didn't do that. Right. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Exactly. Right. I've never seen those bastards in a submarine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in a submarine. Fucking liars, dude. Right. And uh, I think that the rap music also is like, it, it always makes me want to hustle. It makes me want to go out and strive for more you know what I mean there's right. like this hunger to it there's always yeah. this hunger of like chasing the next big thing that yep. next uh, especially like from where we come from or the, the time period we come from you're right like nowadays it's a little more of like bragging about how little they have to do right mm-hmm. but you're right there was a hunger to it um, you know in a lot of the hip hop music because they probably were fighting for it and you know a lot of them do come from situations where they don't have anything <laughs> right yeah. exactly dude and i think that hunger that hunger translates for a lot of our generation too you know what i mean we're out there grinding we're doing other yep. shit everybody's got a side hustle everybody's yep. finding different ways to to make a come up you know what i mean and uh you've been doing a lot of, i see all your pictures on facebook all the time of you like buying houses and flipping shit and like selling yep. Like the things that you find there and all this other stuff. Yeah. How long have you been doing that on the side? Um, really since the beginning of uh, you know, I guess my career because even you know, like you mentioned, like my online presence. Mm-hmm. I think people see that as like the things I'm posting. They're thinking realtor. Yeah. And because that is what I am doing. I'm a realtor and I'm trying to promote that. Right. But um, I actually wasn't even a realtor in the beginning of my real estate career. <clears throat> career. Yeah, the first three years, three or four years, I was investing. I was, you know, buying dilapidated properties, turning them to rentals, you know, maybe a flip, this and that. I actually originally got my realtor's license, like, hey, you know what? In my dealings, this yeah. might save me money, save me hassle. But then it became, you know, one of the main focuses. For sure. How difficult is it to get into real estate? You know, questions like that are hard to answer for me because, like, it's not difficult at all, actually. Actually, it's not, it's not difficult to get into real estate. But when people ask that, it's hard for me to answer it specifically because it depends, like, what avenue you want to get into. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I love about real estate, and I try to 
just bring it full circle because you could be talking about getting into investments and rentals. That doesn't take anything. You don't need a certification. You don't need anything. You need, it takes something, dude. You got to have that fucking money. Bread. But, you know, and there's but there's different ways to, to come up with that bread. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you could be getting into investments or you could be getting into being a realtor or mm-hmm. then there's services. Like, say, you... Uh, you're doing plumbing or painting services, you know, so there's so many aspects. I feel like real estate is a part of everything, right? You know, yeah. Any career you go into, the building you're in is commercially leased. Um, so it, it really depends when, when people say, hey, how do I get into real estate? It's like, what avenue do you want to take on yeah. first? Do you want um, to be a first time homeowner or are you trying to get investment properties? Right. Are you trying to do whatever? You know, there's a lot of different stuff going on. Yeah. And that barrier seems to be changing all the time, too. You know what I mean? Some people have, like, a really hard time getting into their first home, whereas other people are, you know, buying tons of houses all over the place. And uh, I think that that whole aspect is really interesting, like the social dynamic of it and everything that goes behind that. Right. Yeah, you know, my career in real estate started with just ownership trying to acquire properties in any way um it was i think the attraction to real estate for me was originally residual income right because you know when you're younger like in your early 20s you know you still believe or you want to believe that hey there's a way that i can make a bunch of money and not do anything for it (laughs) exactly i still i still dream (laughs) and, and your poor dad will tell you it doesn't work that way, son. You know, you got to go get a job. You got to work for what you make. But that's not necessarily the case, you know, and real estate is kind of that key to open the door to funds that you don't have to work for every time. You don't have to work for every single dollar. Mm-hmm. And so I think in my early 20s, I was like, all right, how can I come up with, you know, free money or easy money that mm-hmm. I don't have to work for? Right. Try to live and, my life here. Right. Yeah, let me live. And, and I think rental properties was kind of what I came up with because I'm like, you know, okay, this is too easy. Um, you buy a duplex, your bills on it are 400, you're collecting 1200. I was like, there's that free, easy money. So I think I was really attracted to the residual income, started trying to tap into that. And then just, like I said, try to make it full circle because real estate connects very easily to other things. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, with the services versus uh, realtor works. As a realtor, I could help someone find uh, find or sell a home. But then thereafter, that does that home need painted? Right. Because we also do painting services. Yeah. You know, and um, do you need to rent a place in between the transition from home to home? We do rentals. You know, so you try to just uh, full service kind of thing. Right. Incorporate much as much as you can into the the many streams that are out there. You know. Right. And. Uh, <clears throat> How many properties do you have now, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't mind. I have 12 rental properties. Cool. Um, yeah. I feel like that's... Is that a lot? It's... You know, it really depends if you own them or not, I think. I think some people might have 30 investment properties with 30 mortgages. Yeah. You know, so really, I think in the end, you got... if Depending on what you think a lot is, you got to do the math on how much equity is there. Mm-hmm. So I have 12 rental properties... But a lot of them I acquired, you know, cash because they're so dilapidated, fixed them up. And, you know, owning something outright cash is, you know, cash is king. And right. everything you collect on, it's all profit. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Is it a lot? It, it Enough to, for you to go t- full time and doing this stuff. Yeah. That's that's my nest tag. That's what I'm sitting on. Yeah. And and it's, it's why I try to encourage everybody, especially friends and family, to do that same thing, you know, acquire properties, get some residual income. Right. But is it a lot? I don't know. It, it's, you know, relatively, is speaking. it enough? It, ne- it never is. Right. I mean, I think one of my goals right now are to have 20 properties owned outright mm-hmm. because I feel like at that point you have at least a million in equity and, and you're collecting, yeah, you know, uh, 15 to $25,000 a month. So that's, yeah, I mean, and that's assuming that you own them all, yeah, right? Yeah, right, right. Minus your bills. Um, it depends how you buy your way in. And, and at the same time, I'm kind of uh, boosting the idea of owning something outright. But at the same time, 
you can have all those mortgages and everything as long as you know what I mean you're making Enough more profit after yeah. the bills so there's nothing wrong with that a lot of people are scared of debt um, and they, they're scared to make moves and oh, I don't want this debt on me but there's a difference between good debt and bad debt right it's a good debt if your uh, your payment on it is you know way less than what you're recouping yeah what you're collecting so I mean good I you know I'd rather use their money if yep. I can, you right. know, even if I had the choice, I don't always have the choice. Sometimes you run out of yeah. funds and you need to use someone else's money. But um, I'd rather use their money. I wish they'd loan me more money and I'd keep buying <laughs> more properties, you know. But right. At this point, you probably got a system pretty well worked out. System, yeah. Um, Are there certain things you look for when you're buying a house? Oh, oh, you mean acquiring them? Uh, yeah, I look for if it does need fixed up to, to there's still to be a huge equity gap between what I have into it and what it's worth. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be completely dilapidated, but if it's $10,000 and then I'm going to have to put 30 into it to make it new, remodeled, everything. Right. You know, I got 40 into it. If it's worth 80, then then that was a good move. Mm-hmm. And then you're sitting on the equity while then collecting rent on it. Yeah. Definitely. But when you said system, I thought you meant like with the whole thing. Because a lot of times well, people are like, how do you like manage like all this shit? Like what is your system? And to be honest, I don't really have one. <laughs> yeah. Just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This seems to be working anyway. <laughs> right. And I think I probably lost money with uh, that. Man- I mean, obviously I budget things, but I mean, like as far as like, yeah, I'm kind of disorganized, but I feel like that disorganization has also been what kind of propelled me at times. Cause mm-hmm. where some people are like, stop, let me look at this and figure, I'm just like, keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going. Yeah. And then it, it ends up, you know, panning out for you. But see, I, at least when I, when we were kids, or at least in my experience, it wasn't around. But we were talking about education earlier. Now we're into like the real estate and like passive income and residual income. And uh, I really wish that there would have been more emphasis on like financial literacy. Yeah. When I was learning about things in right. school, yeah, yep. that's all I keep thinking with these things being yeah. tied together. Instead of a parallelogram. Instead of a par- I mean, it could be useful if. You know, you're it's good knowledge, it's but good. like you need like some adult to come out and guide you and teach you about this shit that's actually going to improve your quality of life compared right. to something that is abstract, abstract yep. or good knowledge or shows that you have a certain level of competency with uh, right. math and the world around you. You know, well, and they're more interested in that too. Honestly, when you bring it up, like I found myself through the years being more comfortable delving into those things with the kids, you know, like things I think are actually important to them, talking about real estate with them. I do all these mini lessons, you know what I mean? They'd either be like, here we go, or they'd be like, yeah, he's doing another one of these rants, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, right. it, you know, to, to give them that real-world perspective of things they can do, uh, yeah, so I agree with you guys, it should be more part of it. But, you know, that's kind of the teacher's job to incorporate those things within the curriculum. Yeah, you know, right. Some people would be like, complain about the curriculum or whatever, you know, fit it in there. That's your job. You yeah. know, open their minds while mm-hmm. following the whole public school system thing. Yeah, that's where I think the, the craft of a good teacher comes in, you know what I yeah. mean? Because you, you are given a very strict, what I imagine to be a very strict guideline of what the things you have to cover and they have to be prepared for and know by a certain period. But throughout that, a good person and a good talker and a person that understands, like, the language and stuff can breach into those different areas yep. through those those topics. Yeah, and you get better at it if you care to. How long were you teaching for? The this would have been my tenth year. So so I'm I resigned right here of... from the full time position here in the fall. Yeah, I was about to hit my ten year marker. Cool. Yeah, I just had my nephew in class at JS Wilson. Oh, nice. We always <laughs> joked. I was like, after I have Anthony. I'm done. I'm doing real estate. And it actually did kind of happen that way. You know, a lot of attraction. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it wasn't necessarily the only reason I, I pulled the trigger now. But, yeah. So I had him in class. I was looking forward to that. And that's where really you see the importance of uh, teaching them those life skills. Because you see your own nephew sitting in that classroom, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you start to really uh, be concerned with what type of skills he'll be able to apply mm-hmm. later. Right. Yeah, you really need those positive influences as a child 
to to because sh- te- you're just you just don't know this shit, right? You know what I mean? Like us us all here have experienced that and gone through that and learned that and probably had some people help us along the way. But there's a lot of people that you know we we might be all they get as far as an introduction into that shit. That's right. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's as lucky. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned like the law of attraction just now. You yeah. you big into like manifesting stuff. Um, if you were to ask my students from last year, they'd be like, yeah, he believes that because I go through the whole thing with them. I mean, we even, you guys make uh, vision boards, um, similar to that. Like I kind of walked them through a process. I learned from a a book called, uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari. And it's like, basically, you know, you, you can change anything in your life. It's kind of like a Buddhist, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and where does it start? It starts with imagining it. Yeah. You know, and so we would literally, like, I'd make them all close their eyes. Just imagine whatever it is you want, you want to change. The second step is to personalize it, to tell people. Mm -hmm. Post it on Facebook, tell your mom, you know what I mean? And so then there's these steps that go from there. And Right. It all kind of guides you in the right direction. I think that there's a a lot of people who are very woo-woo about that kind of stuff. And... Mm -hmm there's a lot of people who use that kind of stuff practically and use it as motivation and this the uh the drive to go out and get those things right and to seize those opportunities when they're in front of them right it doesn't have to be magic no yeah. and one of my favorite things as far as like the positive affirmations and and that goes is you know i remember uh reading that if you want to manifest things in your life instead of being like okay i'm out of shape I'm going to go to the gym or I go to the gym or whatever you say, like, I am a person that works out. Right. You know, like you, you make yourself what you want to be. Right. And the more you tell it to yourself, it's almost like a fake until you make it type thing. Yeah. But you just got to keep like nailing it in your head so that you, you yeah. get that right direction with what you want to do. I love that shit. I, I love law of attraction type stuff. It really stuff. does seem to work. And again, I mean, people like when you first talk about it, it's like, oh, it's magic. You can just change the world. In right. Front. Yeah. It's not when you break it down. It's not really magic. You're, yeah. You you're got, doing it. You got to put the work in. Yeah, you're thinking about it and then like thinking about how it can be done. Mm-hmm. So. And that drive and that obsession and just having those thoughts on your mind, I think, really go a long way whenever you're doing anything. Like right. getting through school, graduating college, all that kind of shit, you know what I mean? That Or like buying a property, like getting this house. Like that's all I fucking thought about for right. months before I finally got this house. Like I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to yeah. buy a house. I'm going to buy a house. Looking on right. the fucking internet every day, putting in the work, thinking about it, imagining myself in a house. You know, all right. that shit kind of just leads you in that direction you know it keeps you motivated and keeps you focused on yeah, whatever it is sure. you're trying to attain and i think it's like a like a good way of using your ego to like you go and tell a bunch of people what you're gonna do and then you feel like you, you can't make a liar out of yourself <laughs> right. you know yeah. like yeah. you don't want to be like well I'm dumbass i told everyone i was gonna buy a house and here i am just fucking twiddling my thumbs you yeah. know and so it's a, it, yeah it's now just i can't post thing. pictures of my apartment right, right. yeah dude. right every time you see people they're like so jared so tony how's that house coming you're like right yeah yeah whatever (laughs) yeah uh so what was the book called the zen uh or the zen monk who sold his ferrari the monk who sold his ferrari cool yeah and uh would you would you say you're big on uh western religions at all like any buddhist pro i'm really attracted to it yeah yeah you know what i mean like i don't i don't identify with anything and i wouldn't it's very buddhist of you yeah yeah exactly (laughs) right because if you did um but uh, yeah very attracted to all those concepts right you said you did a little bit of traveling over there recently was that a, a part of your trip it, it always ends up a part of the trip, uh, and I do, you know, obviously I'm choosing where I'm going, but I keep finding myself gravitating toward places like that um, where you find a lot of temples, yeah. you know, whether it be like Nepal where I was in the fall or, uh, you know, you go to Asia, Thailand, mm-hmm. Bali. Yeah, you end up in these uh, Hindu temples, Buddhist temples, and it's just so peaceful. And right. It's not even just the temple. It's the culture that surrounds it and, and things like that. And then you break into, like, okay, why are these people so happy and, and, and relaxed? Yeah. And you start reading into, like, they're not proverbs, but, like, the Buddhist, like, phrases that yeah. you similar to what you might find, like, the proverbs. From and, the Dhammapada and stuff like that. Or, like, yeah. a, like a Tao Te Ching type thing. Yeah. yeah. Learning and the way. It just makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? It, it, uh, 
It helps you make sense of things, right? Yeah, and it's easy. The, the stuff that I've read, too, is really easy to grasp. It's pretty... There's not a lot of shit that I need to delve into real deep. They're like a, a one or two page poem yeah. that I can read through and see like, oh, okay, this is telling me a, if, if I do A, B and C will happen. Or if right. I want to be A, I, I need to do it B and C. You know, right. it's, it's straightforward and really simple and easy to apply in other aspects of our life. Right. Not so much rules. Yeah. They're more like, you Just know. teachings or guide, yeah. guidance. Yeah. Um, that was one of the really cool things about when we went to Sedona this year. We went to this one park, and they just had a giant Buddhist, uh, I forget what they're called, like a huge fucking statue in the middle of this mm. park and flags all over the place. Yeah. And we weren't expecting it at all. We were just going to hang out in this park for a little bit before we were going to do our next thing. And Sedona in itself is just a really cool, like kind yeah. of a zen peaceful spiritual type place. Right. So it was, it was, Arizona's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's crazy out there. Yeah. Um, what, what were you doing out in Nepal? So... Nepal, I was actually, um, we were vacationing mainly, but we spent a portion of the trip at the refugee camps in Joppa, Nepal. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner that I was with, he was born in these camps, um, but it was a really cool opportunity for me because when I got hired as a teacher, as an ESL teacher, English as a second language, mm -hmm. They needed a teacher because they had the influx of refugees and Nepali refugees. So I really we have like Nepali neighbors around here too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of them started living in the city, you know, as refugees, and you know now they're branching out. Right. But um, you know, I would have never been hired at the time I was as a teacher mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that influx of Nepali refugees and all the refugees. So I really just feel like I owe that culture entirely for kind of the path they set me on. Yeah. And so to go back to the refugee camps that they were from and born was really just an awesome experience. That's super full circle. Yeah, it was. And it was especially full circle because, you know, the individual I went with, Kishore, mm -hmm. he's, his family was, I had his sister in school, mm. right? I didn't have him, but I had his family in school. So this is one of the families from our school. Yeah. And here we are, you know, six, seven years later, and, uh, you know, I'm doing business with these individuals, with this community, with past students. Sure. Um, and, and him specifically, because he just started this hugely successful business. Cool. Uh, What's he doing? Give him a shout out. Yeah, yeah. Keyshore has a, it's called Star Plus, Home, okay. home Care Services. Mm. So a lot of people don't realize, especially from our community, growing up in the suburbs, um, you don't realize as much, but there's services. If you're disabled or if you're over 65 years old mm -hmm. um, and you don't have money, you're entitled to care services. Right. You know, and so that's kind of what we educate people on and provide these care services for them. But, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of full circle stuff. You know, I'm standing in Nepal at the refugee camps that these kids told me stories about year after year. Mm -hmm. You know, I always kind of thought I'd go there. Right. But just in that fashion to be brought into the middle of the camps right. by someone who grew up there, came to America, and was successful. Right. You know, it's yeah, it was very, very uh, humbling, yeah. I guess you could say. That, that's really cool, like the whole communal aspect, too, of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now... You started out working with this dude, or uh, as and, his realtor. Yeah, and that was uh, the first like, yeah. So I'm his realtor, right? And now he's your homie, and you're working with other Nepali people, and you taught these yep. Nepali kids that were coming in, and yep. now you're over there to help. Like that's just, I think know, that makes that makes me believe in a higher power or something out there, right. kind of guiding shit. I know something there. keeps bringing me full circle, and I've struggled, but these things also are like you know, again, law of attraction falling <laughs> in my lap. Um, I was just, speaking of law of attraction, I was just talking uh, a moment ago. My friend had a picture of my first CD cover when I was 19. Oh, shit. And I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> I find that CDs. cover. Yeah. I don't think I have the CD anymore. Like but if you look at the cover, we, like, photoshopped in me um, standing next to a box truck like this. Yeah. And the box truck's full of stuff. And then I'm next to this just empty, beat-down storefront. And, you know, at the time, I had, I wasn't thinking real estate. I wasn't even knowing what I'd go to college for, this and that, you know, but then here I find myself uh, years later, pretty much literally 
the same thing. You know, we're working out of box trucks. Hell yeah. I have a storefront on Peach Street. I'm trying to remodel to be my office. And it's just like, I forgot about that CD cover. And I looked at it. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you know, some I, crazy shit, right? <laughs> I planted those seeds at a young age or something, but hell yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a great example of why it's so important to, to chase your passions instead of like settling for a paycheck or maybe taking like, right. you know, the safe way of doing things. I feel like when you're doing things you're passionate about, you're so engaged that it's not just something you loathe doing, and then you get to make these awesome connections, and right. things do get to come full circle. Like if you hate your job, or you know, if you're not willing to take a chance for something that really interests you, right? Then you're never gonna get to make these like real ethereal connections with the world around you. Yeah, I agree for sure. Right, and having that evidence of the past and where you are now is something real special too. Right. You know, and. uh You've been doing a little bit of speaking of the getting back onto the music. You've been doing. I've been seeing you do some some events on the Victorian Princess. Victorian Princess. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're doing the rave cruises. That was awesome. Yeah, those parties yeah. look awesome. They yeah, look they ended up a lot of fun. It was it was good energy. Like we started with like the daytime one, more like house music, you know, mm. hot weather kind of thing. But then it started getting colder, so we did a couple night raves. Yeah, it was fun. You know, we were doing it to uh, just throw parties, let people promote themselves. You know, me as a realtor, Hectic Travelers was the clothing line kind of sponsoring it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. And, and really, I'm just trying to get some of those promotional juices going again. Mm-hmm. We do we do hope to do some things in the near future involving music venue and Hopefully a bar, yeah. uh, a, a, a nightclub lounge kind of thing. But cool. yeah, we're struggling to get a liquor license. But yeah, we figure throw some parties. Just that way, you know, if we do something the in the, out there, yeah, we do something in the spring. That you know what I mean. We're already kind of on the books for sure. And I think that Erie always has had like a uh, electronic scene, so to speak. Right. But a lot of times, like the only electronic shows that i've ever been to that people showed up for were the 814 bass, bass crew, crew yeah. yeah yeah and other than that like if anybody was had like an electronic night or an electronic concert around here there'd be like 10 15 people at it other right. than bass crew shows which were fucking i think that whole packed. i think that, that type of music is becoming more and more popular mm-hmm. through festivals through everything um actually the joe from the 814 bass crew he's doing an event on uh december 9th at king's rope oh nice, nice. Good for him. Uh, yeah, so they're doing like house techno music kind of thing. So that's cool. He was kind of like, you know what I mean, the godfather of that shit. You're right, you're exactly, right. yeah. So and I haven't seen him in a while. I'm looking forward to going and checking that out. December 9th, I'll have to check my calendar, make sure it's going on. But right. I, I haven't been to an electronic show in no. fucking a long time. Yeah, man. that died for me with the, with the uh, Crooked Eye. Yeah. When they closed the doors, like, I used to go to all those shows down Maybe there. Wednesday. Yeah. Dude, they had a bunch of cool shit. We yeah. need more venues. You know, King's Rook is the shit. I like mm-hmm. it there a lot. Yeah. But I would I would like uh, some variety. We're trying, to, Dude, we're trying to open something up. That's the key, too, is I can only see Aqueous and Tropodelic so many times before I'm ready to blow my brains out. Don't, yeah. don't take that the wrong way if anybody's, like from the Rook is listening. I love you guys, and you do a great job, and you promote excellent shows, but... Fuck man, I need to see some other shit. All right, All right. I don't right. think I don't think it's even like uh, like seeing the same bands over and over can get a little tedious. But at the same time, if it's different bands, but it's always just the same venue and the same people, yeah, like it right. can get boring. You know, it's good to have that variety of places you can go that are happening and there's people around. It it, it spices things up. That's the right. main thing. It's the limitation of uh, venues. You know what I mean? You you have these few places that are willing to do it, and then if you want to try something out of the box that isn't with one of these few venues, what, what are you going to go to the convention center and pay them $20,000 for a ballroom? Pass. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah, so it makes it tough. And and I see I see an outlet there for, for another good venue right. to be around. I think oh, there's yeah. the people there to fill it, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that there's not enough people to go to these shows. It's that they're, like... I don't know. Maybe it's poorly promotion. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like the audience is fucking there. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, and I will say Erie's weird. So I, you never know. You know, you can't. You don't know who to to blame for a bunch of whack events, whether it's the venue or promoters. Erie is weird sometimes. And yeah. to be honest, with those boat parties, I'm impressed that we got 
out as many as pe- people as we did mm-hmm. because for the cost that the boat and everything was going, we had to sell $35 tickets. Right. And that's too much for Erie. I'm yeah. surprised people, people came out, showed out, and that, that was awesome. We had a great time. Well worth coming and spending the money, but still in Erie, yeah. you can't get people to spend 35 right. So Hard. Unless you have, like, a big fucking show or something like well, that. Yeah, I, thought, yeah. I feel like being on a boat, too, kind of feels like a like a bougie thing a little yeah, bit, you know? Yeah, so it's like showing yeah. out a little bit. I'll pay the 35 bucks because we're doing some, like, you know. Right. Real, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and it is yeah. fun being out there. It's oh, worth yeah. it. And, and little do they know they're chipping in on just the cost to take the boat out, right? But mm-hmm. my point with bringing up the boat parties again is just, like, it's hard to get people to spend money in Erie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, and I've been down that road with events that should have went great, that were awesome, you know, and sometimes Erie just doesn't show out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Everything kind of comes in waves around here, too. You yeah. Know what I mean, it seems like we'll have like a dry couple of years with not a lot of stuff going on. And then like one or two years where things are just popping off right. left and right. There's tons of shit that I want to go to. That's local. right. It's, and, uh, I think we need a big venue to bring in bigger artists, right? Like, Kings Rook brings in out-of-town bands, but, like, we need a little more venue space, and we need to book, like, Big Gigantic, or, like, obviously yeah. not acts that are civic center, but, like... Still big. A little man. bigger. I think people come out, because I think people... It's like you said. It's like, oh... I think know, that... Blank right. band that played five times here this year is coming. Mm-hmm. Like, great. Yeah, I, I think it's not a, that exciting. I think it's a, like a testament to how the times have changed too. Because I've, I've, I'm, I'm friends, you know, know some older people who, you know, were around 70s and 80s, like Erie Fieldhouse type days. And like you look mm-hmm. at the acts that used to come here back in those days, they were like, the, you know, you get like the Ozzy Osbournes and like the Black Sabbaths and like right. mm-hmm. these huge bands that were coming to play in Erie. Right. And so I don't know if it's like a change in the landscape of how the music scenes run over the years. Um, what my friend told me that was booking a lot of shows, Elvis and Elvis, when she was booking tons of shows, is that a lot of the bigger bands have like non-compete clauses, and Erie is just close enough to the three, the three that mm-hmm. one of them is going to be yeah. within that radius of where they can perform other yeah, shows. Right. That's what happens when uh, uh, monopolies take place, you know. But that's a, that's another conversation but, uh, for another time. <laughs> also, if they come to Erie too, I feel like they're not. Like, they're still going to fill out that fucking show. The people that go to Pittsburgh and to Buffalo and to Cleveland from here are the same people in those other cities that would come to Erie to right. see those bands. It's right. Which is why you just need, like, maybe a little bit bigger of a venue that could attract more people and could yeah. fill that. I always, thought it was, I always thought it was weird. I mean, maybe because, you know, we grew up in, like, the suburbs or at least close enough to the city or went pu- went to public schools or whatever. It always blew my mind, like, how much Erie gets up for country music. Because it always seems like the only, like, you know, national acts yeah, or big acts that come here are country music. I know. Right? You know, like, Erie Days. They start country concerts. Yeah, like, Erie Days, it's like every year the, the main final act is always a, a country musician, right. you, you know? You know, building was for sale um, and might still be. I need to look into it. Uh, teasers. Oh, yeah. The strip club yeah, out there. Right. Familiar. <laughs> we, we kicked around the idea of a bunch of us throwing in on it. That and the Jewish temple, dude. That one had, I had my heart set on buying that. Where's Jewish, that? On 10th and Liberty. It was like $200,000 and 10,000 square feet. And it was fucking massive. I have to see that again, yeah. It was, Your insurance it, probably bought it. I don't know who bought it's it. It's in man. that area. But it's, it's well, 10th and Liberty, it's, like, right across the street from that one gas station with the kick-ass tacos on 10th and Liberty. Right. And it had, like, a big fucking sermon area or whatever that would obviously turn into stage room. It had all the classrooms mm-hmm. and shit, which would oh, be, yeah. like, little studios for people or restaurants or, you know what I mean, like the flagship food hall or something. We do a lot like with that. it. Yeah, yeah. so much space. But you acquire a big building like that. It comes with a lot. We've been looking at a couple places, uh, Keyshore and I actually, that I mentioned, you know, um, some bigger event spaces. Like if we were to really pull the trigger, that would be not as big as like the convention center, just a step down, but we'd be able to book yeah. out of town acts, big events. Like a stage without... E size place or? Oh, no, smaller than that. A little mm-hmm. smaller than that. But uh... like bigger than like basement transmissions? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because if we, you know, I think we need a venue that that size to do some little bigger things. Yeah, but. it would be nice, man. I would I would go see it. I think the 
other than the the country bands that are like nationally touring the other only other ones that i ever see are metal bands Mm -hmm. and metal bands sell out like good metal bands sell out basement transmissions every time but there's only right i don't know five or six or seven however many heads can fit in that place right and uh, like maybe like the agora size okay you know cleveland yeah Yeah. something like that so you can get some circling touring acts right yeah, Gore Theater's good size too. Plus, they have that other little, like, smaller stage, you know? Right. Which is pretty yep. sweet. Uh, I wish you the best of luck in that, dude. I hope it comes yeah. through. I want to see some big fucking. Yeah, something will come eventually. It just right. depends on how much time it'll take. Have you worked a lot with, like, booking bands? Um, you know, that whole time I was uh, spending a lot of time as an artist, I was spending an equal amount of time. Uh, promoting events organizing events right you know so i always try to book a big act and put myself as an opening act mm-hmm. you know or something like that sure um so i dabbled with it a little bit um not extensively yeah so i, I could learn more about booking and that, that that would be something that would that would help it'll definitely be a part of it i mean that yeah. and that's part of the whole thing is like when you have this big ambition or this big dream there's going to be a ton of shit that you need to learn throughout the whole time right yeah. I mean, we did uh, Crooked Eye. We would work with Marty in Book Axe. We worked with him on uh, Dead Prez, Bubba Sparks, etc. We tried bringing the Bone Thugs up to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fun, but the, again, Erie didn't show up for that. And even back then, I look back, there were fifteen dollars tickets. That's yeah. wild to me. That was a little while ago, but you know, still yeah. fifteen bucks is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I've noticed, like with Erie though, is just like really. The only events that ever seem to really go hard and people always consistently show up for are the ones that are free to admission. Eight Great Tuesdays, yep. all the festivals, when they used to do the block parties, they, every Tuesday in the summer, it's yep. just packed at the amphitheater. And it's like people still spend money on drinks and stuff, but like lowering that barrier just to make it free, that seems to be the only thing. Yeah, like you said, Erie doesn't want doesn't to spend the money, and, and that's fine. Um, it's we- weird because like tons of our boys, at least tons of my boys and our friends from back then, yeah. all go to $40, $50 concerts and will drive to Buffalo or Cleveland all the time, or Pittsburgh. Yeah. And i yeah. got to imagine there's other people that we don't know that are doing right. that same shit all the time. I think that's why we're I'm trying to get into a position where we own the venue. Because mm-hmm. then we can do things like that. Like, if we're making the liquor sales, then cool. We don't need to charge the door. We just need to get everybody here. Yeah. Book the band, free concert. Have a good time. Yeah, et cetera. Make them want to come back. When you're pressured by the costs and the overhead of these venues, it's you're already you know in the hole before you get started. So right. I, I went through that struggle of event organizing and, and, and everything costing more than it needs to or this or that. So I guess that's kind of what I'm seeing is if, if I do get back into events um, full time, I need to be... Connected. And control the venue. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we need a venue. Otherwise, I'm I'm good. I'm not you know gonna do yeah, all that. You get to, you don't want to pay the house. No. Yeah. That's your money. That's your money from putting on the event. You know. Unless the house is reasonable or the house is giving bar cuts. But yeah. Like, none of these venues are trying to do that. Well, and, right. Especially if you're in charge too. Like you get to handle the whole like going back to the law of attraction. How it's like right. promoted as a venue because I think that's a big thing too. Before we started up with our conversation, we were talking about how. You know, eerie, like the slogan is, it's okay to love eerie. And I, th- I think what it is is a lot of people think that, that it's just, like, lame around here. Mm-hmm. Or, like, there's, like, this this impetus to just, like, leave. Yeah. You know, leave here, go somewhere else. Everybody's to do something. goal is to get out eventually. Well, right. Or even if it's not, like, to leave the city permanently, it's like if you want to do something fun, you have to go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, because that's just, like the self-defeating like view a lot of people right. have and i think it would be great you know if you owned your own venue to like build it up as something that that is cool that is a place to be that's something that you can have an awesome time at see right. great acts and it, it, it would be a great way to build it up for sure yeah good stuff dude i mean Erie's a good place to be i feel like i mean I you're still it. here yeah, I'm still here. That's right. It's and and a lot of people are returning too. You know, like a lot of the people that for went, good or bad reasons. Yeah, for good or bad <laughs> reasons. Sometimes both. You know right, what I mean? Right. But uh, it, it, I think it's important to to foster that sense of community and to make this a better place instead of just uh, 
like retreating or disregarding it or right. moving away you know like we have this cool place this like sweet area with beaches and a fucking right. big ass lake and all of this shit already here if we just like put some time and a little bit of love into that shit mm-hmm. you know, yeah it'll be it'll you be know nice. people just like to complain <laughs> you know i feel like because it's like you can live in Erie and still journey other places. Oh, like yeah. That, that's yeah. actually what I'm trying to transition to with, you know, not educating full-time. Because I found myself in this weird situation where it's like, you have all this time off to travel. You got your summers. Like, it's perfect. But I'm like, yeah, but have you been to Erie? It's like, my only time to travel is the only time it's beautiful here. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I'm, I have to stay in the winter. Mm-hmm. And then I'm leaving in the summer when it's beautiful. My family's at a picnic. Yeah. And I'm on my way. Why? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> that makes I want to start leaving in January. So, I mean, it's okay to not want to be in Erie in the winter and shit yeah. like mm-hmm. that, you know. But it's a... It's a four-season city, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful place in the summer, and, you know, you got you to gotta take the good with the bad, right? I, sure. th- I think that's another thing, too. That that's an important dynamic of maybe, you know, why it's tough to get people to come out because everything's packed into the summer. Like, everybody – not everybody. There's some winter people. I'm not one of them. But – most people are like the the fair weather, the nice weather people, and there's so much stuff going on in right. the summer. It's like people are so divided in between like events being held, family, like that kind of stuff, and right. it, it just makes it tough to get people to get out. And then in the winter time, you look out the window like last week, and there's fucking two feet of snow falling. You're yeah. like, I'm not going out in that bullshit, right? You know, you know? and it just yeah. makes it tough. Yeah. The seasonal depression sets in. For sure, dude. For sure. Well, that, that patch of snow, I did not... Well, I did not leave... I left my house, like, one time to get a pumpkin pie just because I really wanted a pumpkin pie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but other than that, I was sticking at home, dude, not going anywhere, hanging out with my dog on the couch, watching Netflix. Right. But, yeah. It's tough to push. I mean, what are you going to do? If you snowboard or ski or something? Yeah. But, you can only do that so much, too. Everything's though. more challenging, too. Like, everything you got to do. It's. I did notice this year, being able to sleep a little more, I'm not that worried about the snow. I think it was waking up at, like, 6.30. It's shitty out. Yeah. You got to force yourself into You know what I mean? Right. Like, slam down that cup of coffee real quick and fucking snow blow or yeah. shovel or whatever you got to do. If you can adjust things, you can, you can deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. This must be a nice thing about being your own boss now. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's um, that's the heart of what I was getting at there, really, is, yeah, when you're able to make your own schedule, you can, uh, yeah. you have that freedom. I mean, that's what real estate is for me. That's what I was chasing from the beginning with rental properties, this and that. Uh, I don't, I don't want to have the nine to five all my life, mm-hmm, you know. Sure. Obviously, nobody does, but that's why I try to educate people that that's one of the avenues, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, unless you have another solution podcasting podcasting yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is this will be this our, is the other solution no it's we're, probably never gonna be the solution <laughs> no one day some royalties off of it yeah you know, i don't know dude it's stuff. a passion project we're just right. having fun it's right. a good excuse for me to call up boys that i haven't talked to in a while and have good conversations exactly yeah hell yeah see what's no, going it's like on you guys said too you're connecting people in the community you know you're starting those conversations so right. it's you know maybe planting some seeds out there to other people that want to get into real estate or exactly. do music, open a venue, whatever it is. Or if they're looking to buy or sell and they want to work with someone who yeah. is a real go. person, you know what I mean? I think sometimes that's what helps me acquire business is just uh, being genuine. Yeah, being genuine. You know, mm-hmm. you deal with some people in all uh, business worlds, and I've found it in real estate too, where they're like. I don't know, jaded or something. Like mm-hmm. they don't, they're not expecting that they're gonna have to work for it, this or that. Whereas, like, yeah, if I need your house to sell, I'll be in there painting myself. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, we need to do to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times people look at real estate as like this very easy, simple solution mm-hmm. to find that passive income. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna buy a bunch of fucking houses and I'll fix them and whatever, yeah. and they have no clue what they're getting themselves into. I, or the, yeah, right. Or building up the clientele or like any of the other things that come along that are a grind, you know, yep. that you have to make your way into. I feel like it's like a path of least, least resistance. I mean, when I was younger, like I'd think that in my head too, like okay, I could get into real estate 
if I had a ton of money first, you know, yeah. I could just throw money at something and pay someone to do it, and then like the money would just keep coming in. And I think that stops a lot of people. It's like, well, you don't need like millions of dollars to get in, but you got to fucking work. Yeah. yeah, you know, and people don't want to, you know, like work and work for their. Passion. You really do have to bust your ass. I mean, and and it's all. It's all for the greater good because if you do, but I guess the thing is it doesn't come easy. Nothing mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. But with real estate, at least if you do bust your ass, it pays off. Whereas some careers, some jobs, people bust their ass, mm-hmm. you know, and it just doesn't pay off. It doesn't change their situation. So, like, no, you can't go into real estate not expecting to uh, be brought to your knees at some point. Right. Like, especially if you're taking on flip properties, rehabs, like it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if you have other people doing the bulk of the work, there's a lot to it. For um, sure. Yeah. How hard is it when the, when the market like kind of flips on a dime? Like let's say like at the beginning of COVID, how like all the interest rates were going low and you know, it was a great time to buy. And then all of a sudden with inflation, it's like, yeah. you know, I, I've known multiple people who are, who are going to buy a house. And then when the rates start hiking up, they're like, oh, I can't afford it right now. How difficult is it traversing through that? The beginning of COVID was, was real crazy, and I have a side story for that. But as far as, like, the market changing back and forth, me as a realtor, I just change um, what you're chasing, mm-hmm. right? Like, if the market is crashing and is down, then that's a good time to be buying properties, mm-hmm. you know, and investing in rentals and things like that. Um so the market being down isn't necessarily a bad thing, or, or not just buying them, but working with investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so the market's down. So then I'm going to start reaching out to my investors that want to acquire some cheap properties and et cetera. Whereas, you know, when the market's up and people are out viciously looking for houses for some reason, then I'm going to be uh, working with those buyers that really need to find a house at that time or want to take advantage of their interest rates. Um, but yeah, you know, people, a lot of people always ask things about that, like the rates and where it's going, where the market's going. I I don't know, um, what they base their, uh, predictions off of, to be honest. I don't read into it enough. I don't really think you can tell the future. Yeah. So it, it's hard to say, but, um, I think everything just kind of comes in waves in all aspects of life. Right. Real estate, from real estate to anything that you're doing you know there's going to be high points there's going to be low points and shit's never going to stay the fucking right. same i actually read it it's super interesting uh like financial uh wealth management book where in all forms of investment it's historically shown that after a bear market um it always overperforms on the other side of it yeah you know so it's not quite like a like a wave like this it's more like a wave like that and then a wave back up yeah Yeah. right you know and sometimes it doesn't really matter where the market is sometimes someone needs to find a home Mm -hmm. you know they're in a situation they need a home so whether the rate's three percent or six percent isn't really their deciding factor um you know i mean when our parents were buying houses the rates were at like eight, ten percent, twelve percent, and it's just that's just what the rates were then. So they didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. So, but now since the rates were three percent for a while, now it's six, and everybody's like, Holy you know, shit. I have people getting their um, loan approvals, and they're like, but it's six percent. Like, should I just wait and buy another time? And it's like, if you don't need a house right now, I guess. But like, you know, to not make a good move because of a couple points. Right. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially if it's like an investment property. Because mm-hmm. if those couple points of interest are, then you're not making enough off the property, apparently, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it's the difference of you, you profiting. Think ahead. Yeah. Not just jump into that. There's definitely a lot of planning. I feel like in any big investment like real estate, you know what I mean. Right. You got to have somewhat of an idea of what you're looking for and what you're trying to get into. Yeah. And a and a plan before you just are like. Let's fucking do it. Right. You know? Right. And uh, everything does seem to come in waves, especially real estate. I had to refinance. When, well, I didn't have to, but the smart thing to do was to refinance during COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I would look at things now. If I were buying a house, I would say, like, this rate hopefully is not fucking permanent. And yeah. I will have opportunities to change that down the road. But right. if I'm given a good opportunity now, that's what you need to take. And I think that that oppor- like any 
any good situation comes from like a a scene opportunity you know right. what i mean and taking advantage of it for sure it's the opportunity cost of it you know you can't wait on it to wait for a better rate right the house is going to be gone that deal is going to be gone right the time to act is when the when the so you do have to balance it you know what i mean you know definitely definitely well jared this has been super fun dude yeah for I sure i appreciate you guys having me yeah, yeah awesome dude. conversation time, dude. uh we'll have to talk to you again and uh hope we'll see you around dude you be easy yeah definitely thank um, you guys yeah, check absolutely. out jared groves realtor on facebook you got any sure. other medias you want to plug uh, no look me up jared groves on facebook if you need help buying selling or if you're just trying to educate yourself on ways that you can invest or, or where to start hell yeah awesome well, check out Jared, and we're everything at once. Uh, find us on all the socials. We love you guys. Thanks for continuing to listen, and uh, peace out. We'll see you next time. Thank you.